Hello and welcome to the Cisco Technology Podcast. It's uh, me, Justin Woolen, and uh, you can contact the show at uh, Twitter. If so, you can go uh, at Justin Woolen, or you can email me at justin.woolen at cisco.com, 201L. So we're joined today by, uh, we got to add a couple of people in the, in the studio today, studio, meeting room as normally. Uh, we've got Sophie, our executive producer. Hello. And she's been on before, haven't you? Yes, I have. Talking about apprenticeships. Yeah, when you were, that was a long time ago now, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, six there years ago. Six years ago in uh, in August, I started the apprenticeship. Right. Yeah. We've done very well. <laughs> and, uh, and that podcast then went very, very well indeed. Mm-hmm. And we're also joined by our chairman, uh, Phil Smith. Good to see you guys. Hello, Phil. It's looking great. I'm, I'm very, I'm, very I'm, impressed with all the setup. It is. It, it does <laughs> look. It's, it's all right. It's all right. It's doing well. So, um, why have you got our chairman, Phil Smith, on the podcast today? Well, the reason is we were down in Brighton and he presented on uh, to the whole of the UK Cisco team uh, and Island team and everybody else as well on productivity. Mm-hmm. And I went, that is a really great topic uh, to talk about on the podcast. And I checked with our executive producer, Sophie, and she said it was all right to have him, <laughs> to have him on. She said she gave us the green light. So um, it took a bit of time, a bit of planning, but you're on the show. Great. Looking forward to it. Yeah. So, I mean, you used to run the UK business, yep. didn't you, Phil? And, and you've sort of gone off to do different things and become our chairman. So yep. what have you been up to in the last sort of six months? Well, without getting into everything I've been doing, I mean, one of the, the key things when you run a big um, organization like Cisco is you realize that you touch loads of different things. Um, and but you're also dragged day to day into huge numbers of operational issues. One of the advantages of moving into the chairman role was actually being able to say, can I spend a bit more time looking at some of the broader things that we should get involved in? Because as a company and in, as a as a sector, you know, the technology sector, we make a huge impact in everybody. And so I think one of the advantages I've had is to be able to get involved in some other companies, but also to get involved in some work that's going on between business and government, particularly, as you said before, looking at areas like productivity and skills and really sharing some of that could be really powerful, I think, if the technology industry gets its head around the effect it could have on productivity. What does it mean by productivity? Yeah. I mean, how, what is it and how do you measure it? Or, or, and, and obviously, why is it important? Well, I, it, it's an interesting question because, of course, productivity itself is, is a bit of a kind of economist word and people get, you know, what do I really care about productivity? Mm-hmm. But I mean, I guess the broad definition of productivity that we're talking about is really how much output you get for any worker, you know, so how much do we create versus someone else? The most obvious way of looking at that is that if you actually compare the UK to Germany, for example, a German worker can create as much in four days as we can create in five days. That's quite depressing. It is quite depressing. I mean, <laughs> Sorry. And to be honest, it's going to get worse because you're going to. It's I'm particularly sure gonna... depressing when you think it's also true of Italy and France. That's it. That's and it. The one thing you'd never think that the Italians well, I mean, and, and the know, French should be. Italians are fantastic people. And oh, and we love all this stuff. But the truth is, you know, the economy, you know, very kind of relaxed um, nation in, in the way they go about things. But actually, they've really thought about how to be more productive. And so there's, this is where the interesting balance, as you say, of of you know people's how much they're paid, what kind of economy we have. We've essentially in the UK made a decision, you know, consciously or unconsciously, we've actually made a decision about what kind of economy we have. And we've got a high employment, but relatively low productivity economy. So the French economy has higher unemployment, but it has a much greater level of productivity. But of course, it has a much less flexible economy as well in terms of employment. So we know the UK is often looked at as somewhere where you can set up businesses very quickly. Cisco probably set up Cisco UK 
before anyone else and it did that because actually it was a great geographical area great um uh, great marketplace but also it's got a very flexible labor economy you can get labor quickly you can move people around and so on which is not true in other places and so we've held that as a real advantage and it is an advantage for us however what it also means is we often have a big low um a low value economy as well you hear about the term the jams you know just about managing people on zero hours contracts and so on much higher than other places nearly a million people on on zero hours contracts so the economy is built on the model that says not only do we have very skilled people but actually we have a lot of lower skilled people as well whereas that's not universally but not generally true in some of the other economies where they tend to have higher skills maybe working shorter working weeks for example so it's an interesting balance and the productivity dichotomy here is how do we drive productivity how do we make ourselves more competitive because that's really the word we want to use yeah yeah productivity is great but we want to be more competitive than others we want to have companies that are more competitive we want a country that's more competitive and particularly in this globalizing world why wouldn't you want to do that so the conundrum is how do we get to that and what are the issues that are causing us not to be productive in the first place yeah so that that's the thing so what is that problem that's stopping us to be productive because you mean you mean i'm bombing around all over the place trying to yeah. do my job trying to try, and i'm sure you are sophie as well i mean i feel like i'm always being pretty yeah. productive i've always got things going on yeah. and and it's it's amazing to to see that you know other countries are more productive than us yeah. so yeah it is to kind of understand what is the cause of the the lack in productivity it's, in the uk it makes you see i mean even when we were preparing and, and people might be listening to the podcast don't think we don't do a lot of prep but we do do prep um and it was, I felt you just become very self-critical, though. You're going, how productive am I? Yeah. You mean, compared to actually yeah. what Cisco asked me to do and what I do for Cisco, and then yeah. go, but is that really, but how do I measure it? And you, and you do, you become quite... The trouble is you tend to think about how hard I work. And yeah. of course, we do that. You know, so the, the truth is, it's not actually about working harder, because essentially that would make you less productive. I mean, you might get more out and eventually, but you yeah. put more hours in. So if you're measuring the number of hours versus yeah. output... That could have a negative effect. So, and actually, it's what we've always said is about working smarter. Mm -hmm. Now, if you just take the overall, I mean, this is probably not a realistic scenario, but imagine if you're a company in the middle stand, as they call it in Germany, you know, the middle market Germany, manufacturing company, and you've got a regulated 35-hour working week, you cannot allow people to work more than, you know, the standard 35 hours, small amount of overtime, et cetera. Well, your your only choice then, if you want to genuinely create a 24-hour day worldwide export business is to automate, put robotics in, put in automation. Whereas our choice in the UK is to say, well, why don't we get some lower cost people in working overnight who maybe will maintain this? So there's a definite difference we've made there. So it's not about you not working harder. It's about you working smarter and doing different things. And I think it's that kind of thinking we need to think. How can we be smarter about the way we Mm. do things? However, we've also recognized that when we analyze productivity, that we lag in the UK in areas like talent management. You know, we don't do as good a job in talent management as many of our competitive countries. Seriously? We, yeah, so we, absolutely. We don't, we don't, I mean, there was a stat, I think, just two weeks ago, I heard on the radio saying that only somewhere around 40% of companies in the UK do any training at all. So <laughs> is that literally keeping people skilled up, up to, up to, up to date in their skills, keeping their skills relevant? Is stuff that we just, once you hire you, that's it, you're in and 
Essentially, I mean, there are a lot of companies where training would be quite an anathema. And I think we have to recognize now, particularly in this digital world we all live in, that our skills are having to evolve almost yeah. constantly. It's not a matter of, I came in and I mean, you know, from folks from the Generation Y are thinking, well, this isn't going to be the same job I'm going to do all through my life. Whereas maybe in, when I started work, it was like, you know, potentially a job for life. People would have maybe doing a job which evolves. But actually now this sense that you're going to have multiple jobs evolving with multiple skills is probably where the real key to all this comes. But, you know, nonetheless, it's still, you know, productivity, you know, areas like talent, talent management are clearly important. But there are other areas as well. You know, obviously, digitization is another area. I mean, in the UK, we think of ourselves as being super digital because, you know, we do more online than anybody else. Yeah. And so, but in fact, we are very digital, so we do do more on e-commerce than anybody else. But when you get down to areas like using tracking in the supply chain, when you get to you know using systems to actually manage inventory, we drop way below the average in that, that level versus others. So again, people have invested probably more in trying to improve the process. We've tended to throw labor at it, I guess, is the- is So the that, that's way. sort of the, the two things you've called out. So is that we throw labor, we throw cheaper labor at trying to solve problems than trying to look at how digitization can help. Yeah, um, and I, I think as well is that when you start to do something and you start to work in a job, you do kind of evolve and, and once you know how to do something, then you just carry on doing it. Yeah. Whereas it would be a lot better to, you know, go and do some training on it and actually learn how to do it properly opposed to just self-teaching yeah. Your, yeah, yeah, yeah. yourself. And I think that will kind of bring up the, the productivity because you'll be knowing what you're doing and that you're doing it right. Well, I think companies need to think it. about that as well. It's not just the individuals. I yeah. think people have to think about how we do this systematically. Yeah. You know, if I'm a company again and I want to be more competitive, mm -hmm. how do I do that? So I want talented staff who are highly motivated and highly productive. And so I think the balance, just to answer the very basic question of the of that, you know, what we want to do is we don't want to say, oh, let's become a high unemployment economy with a with a very productive workforce. We want another way which is a yeah. highly high employed economy with highly productive people which obviously makes you more competitive you're a company that provides more stuff than anybody yeah. else at a lower cost that's good doesn't mean you don't have more people you could have lots of people doing that then you'd be a leader if you will in the world and i think that's the way we need to think about it is how we create an economy that's more competitive because it's got more people doing better things if you will within okay there. so how does i mean as as uk business um, how do we f how do how do we fare then? How productive is our? I mean, well, we're we're not in a great shape to be quite honest. Oh. I mean, we're something about. Is this just, this is a bad news no, podcast? I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm quite the good now. news about it is that it's actually a great challenge for us because we have such great assets that we genuinely can do something about this. But if you just look at the stats to make sure you, you get them in your context, at the moment we're somewhere around sixteen percent below the average of the G seven. So if you take the G seven economies. How productive are they? We're about sixteen percent below them. You know that's never a good place to be. That and just from a, you, when you think of the UK, it's you think of us being a, a productive and innovative yeah. nation. We think we, 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 I feel that we sort of stand on our own. We, we, we sort of stick out, yeah. and we sort of maybe compare ourselves to some countries like the US of how yeah. productive we are, or, or, or the impression of how how we are as, as from, from a business perspective. But that is really quite. Yeah, and again, I wouldn't get depressed about the productivity because the economy is built 
at the moment, you know, we're using, you know, more people to do it and maybe some other countries have thrown more capital to put more automation and, uh, and, and robotics and other sorts of things. The great news is we've got the choice to do that as well. So we can make investments in them. But the point is we are less productive. And if we want to drive productivity, because productivity makes a difference to everybody. So one of those things, there's a famous um, Paul Kruger quote, which said, you know, productivity isn't in, isn't everything, but in the end, it's nearly everything. So, yeah. and, and the reason for that is that actually productivity makes a difference to, you know, the living standards of people, because as you have better jobs with more output, you generate more wealth, you know, people get paid more, et cetera, et cetera. So the reality is if we just improved our productivity by 1% in the UK, we would generate somewhere around £9,000 per household of improved, you know, value or, or wealth to the household. That's £9,000? £9,000 per household. But the more striking figure <laughs> is if you look at the, because of this, you know, the fact that we're typically working for, um, uh, companies who are less productive, about 75% of people in the UK work for companies who are in the lower half of product, below the average of productivity. Oh. If you improve those companies by 10%, not everybody would be the best. Some people go from the 20th percentile to the 30th, some from the 40th to the 50th. That would generate 130 billion of gross value add to the UK. So we can improve this stuff relatively powerfully and have a huge impact on the economy and all our li living standards well, so just by improving our productivity by one yep. percent at a business level yeah or is this at an individual our country if the country's productivity improved by one percent it would represent an average of nine thousand pounds to the household that's huge and that's yeah, not a huge target though is it so, no exactly no not no. at all one percent could you be one percent more productive uh, probably yes yeah. i mean i, <laughs> I, I think <laughs> you just need a robot executive producer yeah, exactly <laughs> Oh, no, I um, I think it's I think it's really interesting, especially those stats. I mean, that is a bit of a reality check there. Uh, but it's it's the question of what can we, what areas are there that we can, what particular areas can we work on? Now, of course, that's the right question, Sophie, because the the truth is, you know, I mentioned you know talent management. We we definitely need to do mm -hmm. more. But the the key areas that we focused on um, in a group, which I'll tell you about in a second, is is was on leadership, talent management, planning for the future commercial excellence, operational efficiency, and digitization. So a big list. But if you think about them, they're key things. You know, if you don't work on leadership inside companies, if you're not focusing on your talent and training, if you're not planning for the future, and in all these areas, you know, there are definitely some, some challenges in some parts of UK business. There are some fantastic examples of it. We've got great industries who are doing amazing things, but it's the kind of um, dissemination and diffusion of that throughout the whole of the economy. It's the important Does it sort thing. of tail off very quickly then? Does it? It does sadly. So you get some really good in almost every sector, and it's not unique to one sector. It's not unique. So it's to across one the board. There are standout companies, companies as well. Yeah. It's side, there are standout companies. I mean, you look at manufacturing. You've got the Jaguar Land Rovers and and all these sorts of people who do huge amounts of that. But down in the kind of middle size in, and lower end of the UK. Our productivity is a lot less, working very hard, using lower cost labor, et cetera, yeah. et cetera, but actually um, a real challenge for that. So I think we've got, we have to find ways of doing it. The good news is that we're trying to do something about it. And I think, you know, without getting too depressed about the statistics. <laughs> no, no, because, I'm not depressed anymore. I'm feeling better I now. see them as a challenge. <laughs> I see them as an opportunity. Yes. We're being challenged. <laughs> we could be more productive and we should be more productive. And I think, you know, particularly in this digital world and also, in the, you know, if you look at the UK, for example, um, about 
somewhere between 10 and 15% of all of the cited scientific papers in the world come from the UK, all right? 10 to 15%. So per capita, we are massively more kind of inventive yeah. than any other nation. You know, we have great innovation capability. We have fantastic examples of business models and so on. So we've got great strengths. We've got great talent. We're in a brilliant time zone. We've got a language, which is now essentially the universal language of the world. You know, we've got a lot of real advantages that we need to capitalize on. And I think the real trick now is saying, okay, this isn't a problem for you government to solve or you industry to solve or you education systems to solve. This is a problem that we all need to solve yeah. somehow. We need to get mm -hmm. a, a system where we're actually working together on it. So actually what we did was we got together with a set of business leaders led by Sir Charlie Mayfield, who's the chairman of John Lewis, but we had the chairman of, you know, of uh, Rolls-Royce. We had the you know, chairman of, um, of, uh, of BAE Systems and, and a whole bunch of others involved, really good people involved, about 12 of us. And basically, we're in a group called the Productivity Leadership Group, which started to look at this information and say, what can we do about it? How can we actually get business to, to be more effective? And lots of things around those areas, leadership and talent management and so on. Yeah. But we've also created a, a, a kind of web-based um, tool set which is called How Good Your Business Really. You know, oh, wow. So there's, so there's somewhere you can go online. and We're just building it up now. It's going to oh, be launching. It. It's actually there in, in Embryo at the moment in, in kind of alpha, but we will launch it. It'll be called How Good Your Business Really. And how good, and there'll be subsets of that, like how digital is your business really. But basically, you'll be able to go on and say, simple set of questions, nicely done, modern, simple, gamified kind of interface. Say, how good is your business really? And it will say, you know, on those metrics that I measured, you're in the top percentile or you're at 50% or whatever. And then once you've been through and assessed yourself, it will then give you a set of areas to get help in, either things to read, people to connect to, and we're, we're hopefully going to do it in a kind of regional and um, sectoral. So if you're in the food and drink industry and you're in the northeast of England, you'll do this survey and they'll go, okay, you're down in these areas. Why don't you connect to this group here who will provide you with some support, maybe through their That's absolutely well. it. And so it could be for any size of organization. Any size of company. Hopefully it'll be done regularly as well. So yeah. people will assess themselves and come back and reassess themselves. And, and then we'll be able to do a bit of the kind of Strava come Fitbit sort of thing where we say, <laughs> you know, you guys are the Northwest Biz is bit. growing 50%. <laughs> and trademark uh, Yeah, right, yeah. And other, you know, wrist back. That's a great And Strava, of course, I'm sure they'll tell us but not oh. cyclists like me but uh, anyway the um but you know that idea that you could say oh all the other businesses in the northeast have improved by five percent in the last quarter and we've only improved by two percent so hopefully we'll get a little bit of people go hold on a minute what if we not improved as much could we do a bit more to do yeah, yeah. because it was interesting because i went to um i got asked to do some talking in wales about digitization and it was back, uh, after a, a podcast i did with alison vincent and we talked about digitization and i think it was about and how successful or unsuccessful organizations can be with digitization and, and the thing that was called out in that paper was um uh, leadership again that was the yeah, big thing yeah. and, and that training and scaling yeah, people yeah, up and, yeah. and communicating and, and it's got to, it did feel that it did come from the top and i was talking to small and medium businesses in wales about it and it's really impactful you, you cross sector how they sort of you could see their eyes or they the, the, can see them their eyes light up and tick and their brains ticking over going yeah it's, we can digitize doesn't matter what you do we can use digital technology to make us better and that that's something that the leadership thing stuck out for me if, yeah. if it comes from the top and they listen to the what they and they bring their staff along with them then 
they're going to be you, you'll you, you'll get that one percent i think quite mm-hmm. quite simply and especially yeah. if there's a uh, yeah, an if, online there's, t- if there's a tool that's going to kind of give you that information on whether you're going up or down, and hopefully yeah. not down, but up, and uh, and then you can kind of judge yourself on on other countries and other companies, yeah, then I think it'll be yeah it'll be really good because then it also brings in that competitive element and everybody yeah. is a bit competitive. I think you'll get down to stuff. How how productive are you? Yeah. you do your survey. You're not very productive. You've gone down one percent. Oh no. <laughs> But but it is though. I think so. The first thing as a, as an, I'm just thinking out loud. If I was a a, a, if a company and I'm thinking how productive I I am or how productive I want to be, the first thing you want to do is measure, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And if there's that tool that's built on from experiences of of, of good uh, of great organisations in the UK, then yeah. mm-hmm. why wouldn't you? It's yeah, you'd only want to say you know um, what does good look like? You know what, how how good am I? What does good look like? And how can I get better? Mm-hmm. Because one of the interesting stats is that you probably remember I had a very notable slide of a puppy sitting next to some oh, yeah. poo. <laughs> and of course, the reason for that was because actually most people think they're all better than they are. Yeah. Because actually, if you if you if you ask companies what what they're whether they're as good or better than their competition in productivity terms, ninety five percent say they're as good or better. But actually, it's only about 44% who actually are good or better. So, in other words, people think they're doing well. And that's not surprising. If you're a small business making, you know, bikes or something, you think, well, I'm pretty good at this. You know, I'm working and I'm making a bit of profit and whatever. But if you then compare yourself against a set of others and say, actually, you know, could I be more productive? Could I have more output generated for it? Mm-hmm. Without necessarily saying to people, you know, to Sophie, get up early and work hard. Now, this is not what we're saying. <laughs> we're actually saying... You know, how could I be more productive? So if I'm a company, what could I learn from? What is it that, you know, JLR can yeah. teach me about how to do process manufacturing mm-hmm. in some way that actually would mean I didn't have to work hard. If, I, if anything, I could work less and still create more, which would be good. Yeah, that, that, yeah that's really interesting. And so is there, and is it being able to look at themselves, but then it sort of leads to what kind of skills, if you, if you mean, if I'm an organization, I've done this, so the, I've gone on to this this online tool that's going to come in the future, and I can understand I can improve and I can I can see the look, businesses around me that I can learn from. Yeah. And the one thing will come to my mind is around the skills. Yeah. I mean, the skills of my staff. I don't want to start laying people off and hiring new people. You'd feel I, I don't know. That's how I would feel. You'd want yeah. to. Yeah, how can I train them to be? What kind of skills do I need them to have yeah. to be able to allow me to be more productive as mm-hmm. a business? Well, I think the the most notable one I think has got to be digital skills. There's no doubt about it. The you know, the, we are starting to see talk in government now around, you know, numeracy, literacy and digital as yeah. being the, th- the three pillars as opposed to just the two. And I think that's important because whatever we say, we know that digital, you know, and, and it varies between which particular group we're working with, they call it digitalization or digitization, but basically we know that the wave of digital is sweeping over all industries. And of course, that means the industries have got an opportunity to be incredibly productive as a result. So how can you create something? I mean, there's a good example. There's a little company up in Yorkshire that I talked about um, who were a vegetable company, veg- uh, vegetable picking company and packing company. And of course, they looked at, and in the past, to our previous point, their way was shipping a load of um, immigrant labor. Of course, that's going to be more challenging in this post-Brexit world. Okay, yeah. So <laughs> they are now saying, what do we do about it? Well, they're going to digitize. So they're putting robotics in to do sorting and packing and all that sort of stuff. Now, you could say, well, okay, they're not going to employ um, more people as a result of that. But if they're not going to be able to employ some of those people at very low cost anyway, but they can start skilling people up on higher cost, you know, working in robotics, working in an assisted way, 
then you know you've got some opportunities and i think the when we look forward the kind of sweep of digital skills that's in every industry is going to mean that we you know that we want to we're going to have to get new sets of skills and uh, one of the other um things i'm working on is on the government announced a thing called the industrial strategy as you may know and they then put out a green paper which was saying it's a consultation paper asking people for what they think the industrial strategy should look like and in that they've got a series of what they call sector deals so each sector saying well this is what we our sector could do i'm working on one of the sector deals called industrial digitalization so the industrial sector manufacturing etc yeah. how could that be more digitalized and how could it be more effective as a result and so we're doing work on there saying things like you know 3d what they call additive manufacturing or additive layer manufacturing which 3d printing um which obviously could transform things things like ai and robotics and so on so could we do a much better job in those in the uk and then but of course it comes down to your question have we got the skills to do mm -hmm. that today or do we need to reskill people because mm -hmm. if you've got your average engineer working in a factory today does that engineer have the skills to work cooperatively with an ai does he or she have the expertise to to look at what 3d printing and design could actually do today so the truth is we do need to reskill our people that's true in retail and manufacturing a set of others this particular one is looking at industrial or manufacturing and you know it's clear that you, you you've got a danger that people immediately go down automation ai robotics terminator <laughs> the end of the world we're all doomed <laughs> i mean it's a pretty easy one for us to go down and yeah. most people do but the truth is there's probably going to be a much greater level of what might some people call cobots or people cobots cobots <laughs> what is that cooperative robots essentially you know things robots that get on robots <laughs> that get on we friendly robots yeah. now, i mean this idea that you know if you are a factory worker um, maybe your skills have been delivered through an either an embedded or just an earpiece. Maybe you've got a contact lens which has got an augmented reality capability on it. You can see where you should be placing something. You know, all of that or just a robot who's able to assist you in lifting something. So you put your hand in, lift it, and the robot learns that immediately. You, there's lots of that sort of stuff going on at the moment. And again, we tend to be, we tend to put robotics into UK business, which is fixed function. Whereas if you think of people like Tesla and whatnot, if you look at their robots, they're they're able to build multiple different cars. And, and, and are they ability, are they ability to learn? So that's, to learn that's, exactly. So you've that's got, the bit that's interesting because we actually did a we had a, a team meeting at JLR yeah. and we had a full tour of the factory and that was that was really interesting. But you see that the robots are still very they do a function they can change yeah. the function yeah. and reprogram them, yeah. but it's trying to do that in and i'm just thinking about being able to make that robot more productive by one percent by yeah. being able to have more intelligent yeah. learning built into it then mm. well, know, some of them can't even be modified i mean the ones that can be modified for different jobs is good enough i mean that's a step in itself because some robots are literally you know this robot screws this nut on and that's all that it does you know because it's built to do yeah. that whereas actually robots that could potentially you know screw that nut on in one car but also in another car as well and have two or three yeah. different you know that in itself is a level of flexibility that many of our robotic installations. So you have. think about you I mean, and we've got um, some big. I'm going to use my Welsh thing because it's I'm from Wales. Um, so we've got like uh, steelworks there. We've got uh, big engine factories, and just thinking about if and we're talking about trying to compete in a globalized market. And I'm thinking, I mean, most of my a lot of my people in my town live. Uh, sorry, I live there obviously because I live in the town, but they work in these factories. And this morning when I left at very similar time to yeah, you, yeah. I, I was all this traffic was going in because it was shift change over time yeah. and it is and you just think about how can these companies or these engine manufacturers or these steel workers 
companies be able to come more productive to compete in that market is that's where they need to look at the, how digitization can help that yep. and, and reskilling those people to being not just the guy you would put the I don't know, do something a, a maybe a more menial task but actually skill them up to be able to help to drive this yeah. uh, you know, intelligent robots cobots whatever yeah. yeah I think our objective and certainly in this work we're doing um, uh, in industrial digitization where you know we'd like to think that we could create more jobs than get destroyed because that's the thing, isn't it? And that's the key to it. Yeah. And, you know, if you're an economy, we could, I say, we could go down that path of being like the French economy and say, have higher unemployment. But we don't want to do that. We want to create jobs that will be the jobs of the future. So they may be analytics-based jobs. They're certainly knowledge-based jobs. They could be ones where you've got cooperative work going on with AIs and robots and so on. So I think there's a real opportunity, again, if we get ahead of the discussion. And I think... You know, given you this is a technology podcast where you a lot of people in the technology sector, I'm sure are listening. Um, You'd hope so. We'd hope so. <laughs> the the um, that actually we as the technology industry need to get ahead of this argument. Mm -hmm. We need to be talking about how technology can genuinely improve people's life, make them more productive, make them have to work less, if you will, but still work. Whereas you know, there's a real danger that the terminators or the the job replacement, you know, come in and say... The rise of the done. robots, isn't yeah, it? Because that's, that's the thing that goes on. You said Terminator, so I'm not going to say it. But <laughs> no, it is, absolutely. Because but the, it's interesting because if you look back in history, over the last hundred years, if you look on a very short time basis, on a one-year basis, when automation or productivity has improved, employment has, has typically, typically gone up, but maybe about 30, 30 of those years out of the hundred employment has gone down slightly so you know you imagine the scenario tractors invented so suddenly farms more productive a set of people are like oh well, okay i can't be a farmer anymore what am i going to do um and they go and get another job within one year you know the effect of that about 30 percent of the years it, the employment went down every if you look over a three-year basis a five-year basis and a 10-year basis you're right down to like less than one percent or one year out of a hundred where actually employment didn't go up so actually what happened was that people found jobs and then we became more productive in the factories, more factories got built and so on. Yeah. ATM machines, when they get put into, they didn't replace cells. There were more people working in banks after ATM machines than there were beforehand. More business was done doing newer business for different things. So I think we need to find a model that says in that model of you know replacing jobs that are being replaced, how do we do that? But how do we do it more quickly? Because the danger now is you're in Wales yeah. and that job may go in Wales and appear in London. Well, that's not much use to Wales. No. So how do we do that regionally, nationally, and of course, internationally? Because if you sum it all up in the world, there are probably more jobs, but they might be in China and India. Yeah. And that's not what the UK wants. If you see it in the UK, Wales might have you know, less jobs and London has more, but that's not what we want either. We need to balance the economy. Yeah, yeah. And it's about being proactive about in the regards to that training. We're saying, right, okay, we can we're starting to, we're looking at digitization. We yeah. need to get our people skilled up and, and doing that in a proactive way or, or, or reskilling people or is this about the next generation coming up through education now? Or well, that's that a, a great about? question because it's exactly it's both of those. So we've been at the particular so that industrial digitization thing, I'm actually running the skills track of it. And we're looking at it at the moment saying what does the future look like? What are the gaps and what do we have to do? And of course you could say, okay, oh, well in that case, we obviously need to go to schools, teach them to do a bunch of stuff. However, the sole flaw in that plan is, you know, 16 years later or yeah. 20 years later, they pop out the other end. We need to do stuff now. And in fact, probably the biggest burning platform is reskilling the people 
in jobs at the moment. So what we are thinking is, should we really focus on the platform to allow people to reskill themselves more quickly? And hopefully, as you start to see which skills are required, we can then feed that back into the university and school system mm -hmm. to saying, actually, we're seeing a lot more data analytics or robotic maintenance or drone maintenance people that we need to generate, which requires these kinds of skills, which require X, Y, Z down the track. So we can't wait for that. So we have to start doing things in schools, but, so, but we do need to help. But how do we do that, though? So how do we reskill people into be digital? Is that something that we just need a load of training companies or do we? I mean, that's the bit that's sort of going well, right. So I, I think we need a digital solution to it as well. So think about it in terms of you and the way you live. I mean, how do you learn? You probably learn a lot from your looking at your phone mm -hmm. on your pc yeah it's generally YouTube. like an online yeah. type you're learning video learning exactly watching other like on yeah. uh, on youtube and yeah, stuff exactly. like that the plumbing like breaks down the... in the house what do you do you don't go on a course you look on youtube to see how to fix yeah. something I, that's how i learned how to fix my bike exactly, <laughs> exactly. so that we learn everything in that model today mm -hmm. so why wouldn't you do that so if we could help to build and one of the you might have had the term MOOCs, which is this massive online open courses, which is a sort of move in the university world. And there's millions of them around now where you can go on and essentially do a course in, I don't know, whatever, you know, philosophy. Um, and, you know, you'll be taught as if you were at university online. Um, and typically the business model most of these guys is now is you pay for some kind of certifications. You can do the course, but if you actually want to get the degree, yeah. you have to pay for the certification. But whatever, the principle is that they've got these now massive online courses which allow you to do things. So why wouldn't we help companies to use resources? It could well be based in training companies and other things, but basically giving them true 21st century, 22nd century tools to learn on the job continuously. But then how do you measure that? Do you give people badges? Do you have a sort of digital passport that says, okay, through my career, I've learned all these things. So when I go, it's not, I've got a degree or an HNC. It's like, here's my digital passport mm -hmm. and I've got these skills in it. So we're looking at those kind of mechanisms. That's yeah, like a, like a swimming badge. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or a brown badge see, or a see, badge see, I'm thinking of me exactly. when I was like 10 in the local baths with, right. with, 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 with my trunks on that people are going to never get out of their mind now, are they? Um, but that's really good and, and how, how much it, and that's really good Phil and thank you because you, you mean you've, you've really helped me to understand this and hopefully our listeners as well and what's the involvement of the government in this how, how much is, is do they need to take part in this so, so the government's been pretty active as you might imagine we had the um, the Prime Minister mentioned productivity uh, as high and the, you know the requirement for what the country needs to do to be competitive in this particular in this post brexit world um, the um, the Chancellor has been the same and and so this group that i mentioned that was created it was a business-led group but it engaged treasury and government and everybody as well because truthfully if you start to do these things which require big changes you can do them in industry but ultimately there probably are incentives or um or even uh, legislation or regulation which might need to be changed to help people train in a different way or be certified in different particularly getting into the school system and education mm -hmm. system we talked about before you need to work with the Department for Education. And the Department for Education used to just deal with schools, but now it has apprenticeships and skills yeah. and so on. So it's the stuff that's woven into industry. So we need that connection a lot tighter. And I think government's up for that. So one of the things they have done is they've funded. So the work we did is this productivity group was essentially all pro bono, people just working from companies trying to get it going. And we'll continue to do. But the government have actually funded for the first couple of years a productivity council. They put 13 million in initially just as a seed fund to get it going, get a CEO recruited and so on, um, so that we can actually get up and have a group who will help to share best practice, 
be looking at productivity, measuring whether we're making any changes, how is the tool working and all that sort of stuff. So the government have focused on that, but there's a big focus on productivity and um, and the benefit it can improve to the economy because for the reasons we said at the very beginning, if we could actually improve the UK economy by about 130 billion by improving each company by 10% mm-hmm. points or moving productivity up by 1% and getting 9,000 pound per household, that would be a good prize to get. So government is definitely focused behind it and it's a big tenant of what they do. So I think there's open ears at the moment. Now what we need to do is show them what we can do as companies and then get you know the government um, aligning to that, whether that be training, you know, incentives, things with the apprenticeship levy, all these sorts of things that are spinning around at the moment. Can we somehow rally them around here? With so it's sort of looking at, the, at, at business leading the way and encouraging the government to, to invest in. I think that's a good way, to be honest, Just I mean, one of those things that is a danger is that businesses, you know, moan about the fact that they haven't got the right skills. Well, you know, the truth is business, you know, if you're a teacher in school or you've got a busy curriculum, I mean, what do you know about what's happening in industry every day? Yeah. So we need to join industry and the education system much more tightly together. And I think as part of some of these initiatives, that's what we're hoping to do is to say that we should be informing and getting involved in in the school system. I mean, one of the great examples of I actually chair an organization called the Tech Partnership, which is a the kind of coalition of companies who um, who are looking at digital skills. And uh, they created a degree course a number of years ago because actually, amazingly enough, the computing science degree course has one of the lowest employment rates in, in the country. Is it? It has. And the reason for that is oh, because... That's really that's good to know. I well, just... it, it's not because we don't need the skills. It's because actually a lot of the time people are going into computing science as maybe a second choice. We're not focusing on whether the curriculum's relevant to what companies really want. And so, and I had a very bad gender mix as well. I mean, less than five yeah. percent. Whereas, what? So we, so the degree was created by the Tech Partnership. It's called ITMB. So it's an IT and management business degree. It was businesses created it, helped to create it, get involved in delivering it. It's in now twenty five universities. Oh right, okay. So oh, okay. it's out running. It's got a hundred percent employment record. Uh-huh. It's got right. more That's really than good 30% to know. women in the, in the roles as well. It's incredible. I'm going to tell my daughter now, live yeah. on the podcast, <laughs> who's just doing her option, who's doing her, uh, 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 looking at universities now. ITMB. So, ITMB. There you go. There you go, Kira. It's a good illustration of if business genuinely get involved with the education system, it can make a huge difference. And I think we need to take that model and put it everywhere. That's brilliant. You mean, um, that, no, that's, that's, that's inspired me. If you inspired me to, if I'm going to go to tell my daughter now. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think that's really amazing. And I know that, obviously, I only left school, I don't know, oh, six years ago. And I... <laughs> <laughs> that just makes us feel a little bit as well. <laughs> and I came straight into Cisco and not, and not knowing kind of what I was doing and where the technology was going, but I knew it was going somewhere. And, and I mean, it went, even when I was at, even when I was at um, sixth form, like there was maybe two two other girls in the IT class that I was in and and I think it's just trying to get people to understand that you know technology and and digitization is where it is like is where it's going and where businesses are going so you know it's it's just that education especially within schools on you know this this is the up-and-coming thing and it's happening right now so you need Mm. to kind of get involved otherwise we're just going to kind of go 
down downhill and that's not that's I mean, not where we want to go it is and it's it? it it funny isn't it so because we start off the you know i know i said it sounds depressing it does sound depressing when we're not as product we're way off productivity against the g7 and all that sort of thing but at the end of it now i'm starting well hopefully not the end but you I mean coming towards the end of the podcast it's it's a lot more upbeat because you know the the, the solution isn't that hard no. and with industry work, leading government working with education and this and with the result of those courses already in universities it's quite positive and about businesses being able to look at that going we need to invest in in digital skills yeah. because even though we might be a farmer we might be making bicycles mm-hmm. we might be making engines digital technologies and digitization is going to help us be more productive be more competitive yeah. Yeah. it is and it's it's an opportunity isn't it it's uh it's that you know, yeah, you might think that farming or working in a bakery or something like that might not be digital, but any any moment that could be changed and there could be a, a co a cobot. Yeah, exactly. That could be and and we're not kind of up to speed on that and that's around the training and, and getting us up to speed and the and the future. I remember actually my daughter my daughter worked in um in phase eight, a dress shop type place, and when she was at school, she's now an accountant and you know married and got a child. But but when she was at um, school or uni, she was working there, and she went in and they had this you know little computer system you know that did the till and whatnot. And this is exactly to Sophie's point. I mean, they just carried on and they did what it did. But every night they printed a load of stuff off, wrote it all down, and then phoned up the head office and told her because she was like you, young, coming in. She did. She said. Why don't we just do this? It was on a PC as well, which is even more bizarre. So why don't we just download just a spreadsheet and email it to the head office? And of course, none of them even had to even send it. So she just literally, at the end of the day, the checkout, she went, she went bang and hit something, and it downloaded it to a spreadsheet, which was a simple thing for Zoo. She emailed it, and they're all sitting going, "Oh my god, yeah. you're a genius!" Yeah, but I mean, but the, to the point that exactly Sophie's making, you know. If you don't even see digital as an opportunity, you're not going to do that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah. You're not going to even think about it. Yeah, okay, you got to tell because that was provided by the head office and it happened to be on a computer, so I did it that way. But actually, when you start to think about what it could do, how it could mm-hmm. simplify things, it could take away the grind of some, yeah. probably the waste errors. And we know we've seen it in our business with working in health services and so on, the amount of transcription errors that people have. There's a great example in if you ever want an interesting book to read it's slightly depressing but also slightly is um homo deus it's written by uval noah harari a great name but he wrote a book called sapiens and now he's written this book called homo deus which is essentially about the evolution of humans to the next generation saying that you know that the next generation of evolution will be based on us evolving the human body but he has all sorts of examples in there about some of the you know the the amazing things that happen you know, as a result of making changes to um, to the way you think about things and, and, yeah. and the way things behave and so on. And they're just, you know, the, the examples are scary, but quite compelling. I mean, there are things like, you know, how clever you can be with with algorithms. So the great example is if you, if you, you know, you click on, let's Facebook likes, if you, they compared people, so they, they tried to compare a human being Sorry, you, your friends, your spouse, your family, and then your spouse, and and asked you to sort of compare how you would do if you were looking at something like, um, you know, your preferences. So, what do you like drink wise, whatever, any question like. So they asked you the question, and then they, they used an algorithm that Facebook had to be able to try and it determine what your likes might be. It only took seven clicks, seven likes, to be better than your work colleagues. 
who no. took 150 <laughs> clicks to be better than anyone in your family and who took 400 clicks to be better than your spouse and in many cases better than yourself oh <laughs> so gosh. 400 likes on facebook in your whole life and facebook has a better idea of what you want than yourself oh you think about the power that that yeah. has for a doctor sitting in a surgery going okay now i'm trying to work out what this patient's got and understanding the knowledge mm -hmm. how much could that add to a doctor's knowledge about you know when he's got an ai like that helping with everything you've done and how you behaved so on. so that person oh. so i'm just thinking of of I mean, I was in the doctor's yesterday, not for myself, but with my daughter, and it was that moment of her coming in. She's asking a load of history. She spends yep. a couple of minutes going, you mean literally the minimum about history, what's going on in your life, or oh, got exams, studying, okay, a bit stressful, feeling a bit run down. And that's the thing, but you're going, actually, from all the her, the, her digital interaction mm -hmm. with the world, Could the doctor can get a, yeah. a better understanding of, her, of my daughter at the time of walking in there and going, right, yep. I, know, I know what's going on. Yep. Well, I mean, you know, let's face it. I mean, we know we all love GPs, but the truth is they're generalists. You know, they yeah. have a very general knowledge. They, they are unlikely to come across most things in their career. In fact, my youngest son, who's now in his 20s, but he had a thing when he was young. And the doctor told us that there's probably one instance of that in his lifetime in the surgery that that would have come. So the chances of him spotting yeah. that thing were zero. But if he'd had an AI or some vehicle, in fact, I was working with a little company funded by Innovate UK, which I'm the chair of as well. You're the chair of a lot of things. Innovate UK, who are the government's funding agency for innovation, and a brilliant company who have a device that you can actually just breathe into and it will give you early indications of bowel cancer or lung cancer just by tasting tiny, tiny trace chemicals Whoa. in the breath. The challenge you've got with it is at the moment, the way that you do that is they give it, the GP sends it to a lab who then give it to a consultant who then look at because the the clinical pathway is for that to happen mm -hmm. whereas in reality your gp could in theory just have a device like that a tricorder like a star yeah. tricorder and just sweep it on your daughter's arm or your arm and go all right okay i've got all that information your digital background i've got i mean that would be incredibly powerful yeah if you can do those things and actually i think that's again the hopeful bit we in the uk are leading in this kind of research in ai we're leading in ads and manufacturing we're leading a lot of machine learning stuff you know, we could transform the way we do lots of jobs in a really positive way, as long as we do it in a sensible human, you know, grown up way and not just let this overtake us. And I think that, you know, would be Not Yeah, so let's take control of our own digitization. Take control of our own destiny here. Oh, yeah. great. Brilliant. And things like that, it would just it'll bring back so much more time yeah, as exactly, well exactly. and just to make us a lot more productive. So well, if you want to at the moment, they're forcing you to have, you know, 10 minute whatever yeah. consultations. Maybe they could have half hour consultations if they could chat to you. Yeah. If the diagnosis was mm -hmm. done instantly and reliably. I mean, the example he gives in that book is a, there's a robotic pharmacy in San Francisco, which is a pure robot, does exactly what you said, Justin, you know, takes all your digital information and it's done over a million prescriptions in the last year and not made a single error. No way. And the average error rate for the pharmacist in the US is between one and 2%. So the pharmacists in the US have created 50 billion errors this year on oh. drugs, whereas the robot has got it right 100% of the time. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I know we're coming to the end of the other podcast now. We've gone on a lot longer than I than, uh, than expected, which is really brilliant. And are there any closing thoughts, anything? Well, I think the important thing is, you know, productivity can sound like a bit of an economist, you know, fun night out sort of thing, but the, the, <laughs> this is not what it's about. Productivity is an important issue for us as an economy, so we need to think about it. And I think in the digital space, we have real opportunities to help people do that. That's going to require people 
continually thinking about their skills and how they skill themselves. And I think we all need to take responsibility for that. It's not someone else's problem. We need to sort out both the dialogue, i.e. the narrative we talk to our, you know, people and our employees and our friends and everybody, but also how we help in, in improving this. And I think we can, and I think it's a hopeful picture ahead for an economy which could be incredibly productive, but also high employment and high skilled. Wow. Yeah, this is well. This has been great. <laughs> Honestly, uh, learned so much. It has, isn't it? Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Um, so, thanks very much for joining us, Phil. No problem. Thank you, Sophie, exact thank producer, you. for joining thank us. You. And uh, thank you for listening. Uh, if you want to contact the podcast or you're interested in anything that Phil's talked about today, which I'm sure you are, uh, you can contact the podcast at, at Justin Woolen on Twitter, or you can email me at justin.woolen at cisco.com. Two hours and one hour. Thank you very much for listening.